hopefully it all comes together in the podcast (laughs) (laughs) i think it's coming across yeah (laughs) this is the anti-capitalist episode (laughs) (laughs) this is the don't listen to your parents episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um. i'm ambivalently yours and this is rebelliously tiny podcast about the subtle emotions that draw us together. For the last five years, I've been exploring my ambivalence and feminist questions by posting pink drawings on my Tumblr blog. Eventually, people started responding to my work by sharing their personal stories with me and asking me for advice, often anonymously. Since I'm in no way qualified to tell anyone what to do, I began answering these messages with ambivalent drawings. Today I have over 1,000 messages waiting in my inbox, and I've decided to ask for a little help responding to them. Each episode of this podcast will focus on one question, which I will discuss with someone I admire and trust. Our goal will not be to provide answers, but to explore the tender emotions we are often told are unimportant, while highlighting the value of talking to each other instead of about each other. I will mark each episode by creating a drawing inspired by both the initial question and the conversation it sparked. In a world that teaches us that strength is loud, harsh, and masculine, this is a place for those of us whose struggle is both impossibly large and rebelliously tiny. Here's this week's question. I'm at the point in my life where I have to absolutely grow up yet I don't know where I want to go or what I want to do. And the thought of the future terrifies me because I'm expected to be all sorted out already. But how am I supposed to when I don't even know what I want myself? I just feel like I can't breathe. The pressure is overwhelming and I wish I knew what to do with my life as it moves forward. I want to be happy with my long-term decisions. I just don't want to make them right now. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Hannah. I'm 22 years old, and I'm currently finishing up my undergraduate degree in Montreal. Hannah and I created the first season of this podcast together. Neither of us have any experience making podcasts. This endeavor is very DIY, fake-it-till-you-make-it style. Nonetheless, we felt that this project was important. So with a little help from the kind people at Obro Artist Run Center in Montreal, we dove right in. Part of Hannah's work on this podcast was to help me sort through the thousands of messages I received on Tumblr to decide which ones we were going to use on the podcast. We had a shared document where she would write comments under the questions she found interesting. And under this episode's question, she just wrote, Me too. Um, yeah, I remember reading this question and I just, yeah, I, it felt something like something I could have written myself. I was like, yeah, this is exactly how I feel right now. Um, I just feel a lot of pressure to be planning my future right now. I feel a lot of pressure to be planning what I'm going to do when I graduate, um, even though that that's, you know, in almost a year away. Um, I feel kind of constant pressure. People are always asking me, so what are you going to do when you graduate? What are you going to do with your degree? Um, And it's all very exciting in a way, um, but I also 
I don't know. <laughs> and I'm doing an arts degree, so I get a lot of the questions, oh, so you're going to be a teacher, or oh, so you're going to be a lawyer, as just the kind of assumption for me. And I don't, at this moment, feel super drawn to either of those paths. Yeah, it's it's hard because there's so much pressure to just be, like, one thing. Yeah. Instead of being many things. Yeah. I, I definitely have that reaction sometimes where I, I feel kind of pressured to start my career um, upon graduating, and I, my reaction sometimes is I don't want to have the same career for my entire life starting from when I'm 23 to forever. Um, you know, I want to experience different things. Maybe I do want to go into education, but I don't want to do that right now. And I don't want to feel pressured to start getting ready for that right now. Yeah. And I think like, like for me, my path was like, like I said, I did, I went to undergrad, I did extra years. And then I ended up doing in those extra years, like some textile classes. And that led to me getting a job in the fashion industry and I was like okay great I have a way that I can I can you know use my creative skills and still make a living and then I did that for like five years at which which point I was like oh my god I hate this (laughs) like I liked parts of it I liked some of the work I did but I didn't like that everything I was doing all my ideas were going towards like selling people stuff that I didn't really believe in Mm -hmm. and also that I was working a really like misogynistic environment Mm -hmm. so it's at that point that I decided to go back to school and do my master's degree in art and when you tell people that you're doing like a master's degree in fine art Mm -hmm. they're like why (laughs) and again it's like oh because you want to teach but like getting like university professor jobs aren't that easy either And to be honest, I didn't really have, like, a clear idea of what this was going to bring me. I just knew I wanted to reinvest myself in art and change my path. And it ended up, like, completely changing my life because it ended up, like, it's in school that I learned about feminism, really, and that I it's during school that I created ambivalently yours and that this whole body of work came out of it um and I think what it was is because it was the first time in my life where I allowed my art to become important and that's what I really learned in school is that my art could be important even if it didn't have like a tangible like monetary value Mm -hmm. even if it didn't lead to like a very specific job description and now, you know, I'm I'm scrappy. I find ways to make a living in different ways. I have, like, an online shop. I have, I do contracts. I get grants once in a while. And I think that as long as you're kind of working towards something you really care about, you'll find ways to, like, figure out the logistics of living. Yeah. Yeah, that all makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) Um, That definitely makes me feel a lot better. And yeah, I think it's interesting how we gauge quite often 
success and what is important and how it seems like there's still so many people that don't take you seriously if you suggest that you might want to pursue a path that doesn't necessarily end up in kind of one of these categories of doctor, lawyer, teacher, um, engineer, whatever. Um, So I definitely feel a little bit I'm not even sure how to think outside of those categories sometimes. I find it really difficult to imagine a future um, just because I feel that my whole life I've been told, you know, those are the options and um, you'll be interested and good at one of them. And I'm sometimes thinking, I don't know if that's so true. And um, I think a, a question I have for you just listening to what you were just saying is, was it kind of natural to reconcile your feminism and your art and kind of put your activism and your art together? Did it kind of feel like your feminism was always going to be a big part of your career? I mean, for me, like, feminism has always been in the back of my mind, even though I didn't understand that it was feminism and, like, a, like I didn't call it that Um because I come from a traditional family where, you know, my dad has very traditional ideas of about, like, men and women, of how they're supposed to be. And because of that, it wasn't, like, in a way that he was trying to be cruel or that he doesn't love me. But because of that, I was treated in a way differently than, like, my brother. And that mm-hmm. was always really hard. And that always sort of fueled a lot of my my work um but it's only like when I got to school when I started really studying it in grad school that I sort of understood that everything with all these frustrations and anxieties I had were linked it, it's also because I had been working in fashion where you know it's an industry where a lot of women work in it but most of the higher positions are held by men and a lot of the ways we market it is about selling things to people's insecurities um and you know to have been part of that process like I for a while had to was working on a men's line and I had to come up with like slogans for t-shirts and like some of them were so sexist and like meanwhile I was studying feminism and it was like really hard for me to like make all of these things like work together um so yeah so it was really hard to sort of figure out like how to make all these pieces like activism art um and academia like work together um but it's only really when I like took the like scary decision to like quit my day job um to give myself time to do other things that I was able to really um make everything kind of work together I guess it's just because for me like I, I always work harder when the thing I'm doing is meaningful to me and that was the reason why I was getting frustrated in my previous job is that I just didn't care about it and I didn't want to do it anymore and now like things like this project like I'm not necessarily going to make any money from it at all but it means something to me so I'll do other things you know, I have a part-time job. I'll do other things to support this. I don't know. I think as long as you're working on something that really means something to you, 
all the other aspects will come together and you sort of figure it out. And of course, like I'm saying this from a position of privilege in the sense that I'm able-bodied, um, I'm white, so I've had all the privileges that come with that. And I have a supportive partner where we've taken turns being supportive of each other. And, you know, I know that worse comes to worse. If I were to fall flat on my face, I have the safety net of my family. And I mean, so on one point I'm like, yeah, like quit your day job and like you'll figure it out. But I know that that's not like the reality for everybody. And so, yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah, I that all resonates a lot with me and I am in a very similar position where I'm even just having this kind of conversation about this question, um, you know, I'm in this position because I'm privileged and because I've had the opportunity to go to a really great school for undergrad and be able to do it in four years and to, you know, I have a work-study job, but I'm not working full-time and in school full-time at the same time and so I've been able to devote myself to my studies and I've been able to get involved in opportunities like this really amazing opportunity on the side and and to think about what I want to do later on um so I know that that's very privileged in that you know similarly I'm I'm white and similarly able-bodied and I also you know I I could always rely on my family if I needed to um, so if I didn't find something to do right after I graduate, I wouldn't, you know, I, I have a safety net. And so a lot of the pressure, I guess, is just coming from myself. And, you know, I want to pursue things that I'm interested in. And yeah, I was curious about how your career kind of reconciled with your feminism, because I'm at this point where I kind of, I want to pursue something where I can express those interests and passions. Um, and I'm not sure if that's realistic or not, and I'm not sure if that's always going to be possible. Um, but yeah, it's something I'm curious. Hannah was reluctant to be one of the speakers on this podcast. She questioned why she, an able-bodied white female, with all the privileges that go along with that, is allowed to put a voice out anywhere. These feelings also manifested themselves in her uncertainty in how to plan for her future, to figure out where she should go, where she belongs, and what her motivations should be. Privilege is something that has to be discussed when you talk about the idea of success. Many believe that if you try hard enough, you can achieve all of your dreams. But the truth is, we aren't all starting from the same point. When you have privileges, like being white for example, the path to success is easier. Well, one thing I could really tell you for sure is that there are going to be points when you're going to have to make compromises. Mm -hmm. Like, there are going to be points where you'll have no choice. You'll have to maybe take a job that you don't love or that's not fulfilling or that kind of goes against things that you believe in because, you know, we live in a capitalist society and, you know, you have to make money to Mm -hmm. make a living. So it's not... I think it's very rare for anyone to just live this, like, perfect feminist (laughs) life without any contradictions. Like, Mm -hmm. basically working in fashion is what allowed, is what, like, 
gave me enough money to be able to put myself through school where I learned about feminism. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that was a huge sort of thing. Um, yeah, so, and I, I mean, sometimes, I don't know, that's something I still struggle with, I have to say, because I, like, as my work gets like sort of popular online I have a lot of companies approach me now mm. ask me to do to work on their campaigns and you know sometimes that could be like a really lucrative thing but if their campaign is for something that goes against what I believe or often I just I, I understand that they're just trying to like ride the feminist wave right now and like try to kind of exploit what I'm doing to sell whatever they're selling I mean I find it I find it hard because it's like at one at one point am I like selling out and at one point am I just like cashing in to be able to pay my bills you know (laughs) that's like a kind of a constant struggle for me and I kind of have to take it case by case um and I have to work like really hard like like I work all the time. <laughs> I I I'm I basically I'm doing at least a little bit of work every day. And I think that's another thing that when you're following sort of your your dreams or whatever <laughs> and like you want to to art and activism, you kind of have to work harder than if you had like a 9 to 5 job with like a good salary and you know, two weeks vacation and all of that. But, you know, for me, that was, it was a, it was worth it because uh, I'm working on things that I like most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It's like, it's not easy, but it's not impossible, I think. This question is, it's hard for me to, you know, quote, answer it because I, I feel kind of exactly like this person feels. Um, So I'm just trying to look at areas in the question where maybe I could, um, or we could maybe speculate that might be a good way to respond to it. Um, I know for me, like I think sometimes I just need to give myself a break and stop kind of putting so much pressure on myself to be constantly thinking, okay, how will this benefit me in the future? How will this set me up for on a good path? Um, and that kind of thing and I think what you were saying was interesting about how I'm not always going to be able to reconcile my beliefs with you know there's not going to always be a perfect well-paying job that leaves me in a good position that I'm 100% satisfied that it's promoting my feminist agenda Um, I think that that's probably really accurate and I've felt that way even in school and even in you know the job that I have while I'm in school I don't feel like it's the best (laughs) um but yeah I think that that's a really interesting thing that maybe maybe you know we can't exactly just live outside of this capitalist society I can't just say like I'm just gonna pack my bags and go live in a nice commune where everybody has similar beliefs and I think that that would be very privileged of me too to be able to do that um, so it's like kind of figuring out how I can work within the viable options that I have. And I think that, um, 
Yeah, I'm just wondering what this person, I wonder if they ended up, what they ended up doing. I think there's just something scary in thinking about long-term decisions that, oh, this is something that's going to affect me for a very long time and that I'll be stuck in it. And you said something earlier today that made me feel better, like that you can change your mind notion. And I like... I just need to remember that more. Like, put less pressure on myself. It's going to be okay. I can change my mind. I can leave something. It's not totally stuck there. I think sometimes it's good to just, like, think in smaller increments. Like, mm-hmm. think about the next week, the next month, the next year maybe. Like, think, okay, next year what could I do? And look at all the possibilities, like internships or a job or whatever and apply to like a bunch of things and then see what you get Mm -hmm. you know just figure out the logistics and then and then after that you adapt because like so many things will happen within that year that you might completely change your mind and also it's like we were saying like I don't know if this is the expression but it's like when you make plans like God laughs or something (laughs) like you know, you can make all these plans and have this very, like, specific path set out, but you never know what's going to happen. So sometimes it's good to just, like, leave yourself room for flexibility and for things to change. And, yeah, and you see what happens after that. Yeah. So I think that can be a really nice way to be, to not be stressing out about the future. Like, I don't really know what I'm going to be doing (laughs) next year. I have no idea what I'm going to be doing, like... Two months from now, <laughs> I just keep applying to things and I keep trying to work on projects, and then I see what happens. It's kind of been nice, it's been nicer than trying to like map out my whole future. Yeah, that that makes me feel better too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I really I think that that um, that sounds really good, <laughs> and I do think that's what I what I need to do, and maybe what we would something that we would tell this person who asked this question is um, maybe it doesn't have to be as long term um, as we might expect or that you might be pressured to plan for and maybe it doesn't have to be as sorted out completely and um, you can change your mind and all that kind of kind of thing and yeah I think something I just kind of constantly am questioning myself is am I just trying to take the easy way out Um, like sometimes I just think I just want to stay in Montreal. I love Montreal and I feel a lot of pressure to leave because I think I was told, oh, you're going to go get your undergraduate degree and then you're going to graduate and you're going to start a career. But it kind of felt like Montreal was just associated with school and that maybe I'm from the States, so I would move back and live near my family and have a career and that was it. And so sometimes I question myself when I think, I want to stay in Montreal, so maybe I should apply to more schools here, and that would be give me a reason to stay. And I'm like, but am I just wanting to do that because it's the easy way out, and it makes me able to stay around people that I've known while I've been at school that I feel comfortable around and that feel like a safety net for me? Um, it's easier because I know the city and I, I have a place to live here. And it, am I just wanting that because it's easier so I'm kind of constantly asking myself that but then I'm wondering is that just kind of this weird internalized like I don't know 
I don't know. I think you're only really taking the easy way out when you're doing what you think people expect of you. Mm -hmm. I think that's taking the easy way out because in that you're not making a decision. You're letting, like, other people decide for you. Mm -hmm. And, like, whether you decide to stay here or not, if you're making a decision, it's never, like, the easy way out. There's going to be, like, consequences either way. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know. It's hard. Like, I can't, it's not, like, I can't tell you or this person, like, what to do. And, you know, you might do something and then be like, wait, this was the wrong decision. But I think making bad decisions is also, like, part of it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's so cliche, but you, like, you learn so much <laughs> from your mistakes that it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and just learning to, I think the hardest part is learning to just, like, quiet out those voices in your head that are sort of like telling you what you think you should be doing mm -hmm. like you're expected to you know you're a young woman now you have to find a job and then you have to find like a suitable partner and then you have to have kids and not buy a house and you know that's it yeah <laughs> and it's when you want to do something different and if that's what you want to do that's totally fine too but right. it's of figuring out like what you want what what is it you want to do and what is it like the voices in your head and your family and everyone yeah society is telling you <laughs> that you should want yeah definitely um yeah it's it's kind of weird I've in one of my classes actually and this is where I think you know feminist theory kind of helps to give me a little bit of a voice on this matter and in one of my classes recently we were talking about how the family and the school itself and I mean traditionally say the church and these things in your life that feel very personal and that it feels like you are navigating them yourself but that they actually help to kind of reproduce these conditions of capitalism because you know you're in school and it's teaching you how to meet deadlines and how to be on time to places and your family is in a way teaching you those things as well and just kind of helping cultivate the skills that you need to be a good worker in the capitalist system and so I kind of just wonder like am I internalizing these thoughts too much so should I be challenging those thoughts um and yeah it's it's really I think it's just hard to like I said before, it's hard to imagine a different future for yourself when you've been told for a long time that there are very specific paths you can take. And so I like the idea that, you know, feminism can kind of help you to critique that and to challenge it. And I have found it very useful myself in thinking more like maybe it's okay to what if I did want to stay in Montreal because my closest friend is also staying here for another year what if I valued a relationship um, more than this pressure to immediately find a career and move somewhere else like maybe that's okay yeah I mean totally and like that's the thing like friendships are so undervalued mm -hmm. in our society especially when you're an adult it's mm -hmm. like friendships are like it's more important to have, like, connections than right. friendships. Networks. But, you know, if you have, like, your people here and you feel like, you know, you would get something out of it personally to, to stay here, even if you just need, like, a year to figure it out. Mm -hmm. I mean, life is long. You have time to 
figure it out. It's just, it's hard because we live in a system that everything in this system is pushing us towards like a certain thing. And like I said, you have to make compromises because of that. But I think it can be a really rebellious act to do something that goes against it. And because you're doing this thing and it's kind of a rebellion, you'll be like, you'll try harder to like prove people wrong. Like you'll have more like, like drive to try to (laughs) prove people wrong, which is good. Drive is good. (laughs) Yeah, totally. As we move forward into uncertainty, it can be somewhat difficult to sort out the decisions that are our own from those we've been conditioned to think we want. Learning about feminism can be a way to understand what factors may be influencing our decisions. Um, Did you, so you said that um, when you were finishing up your undergrad, you decided to stay for two years. Did you get any kind of just concerned reactions to that at all? Or was it the people that knew about it kind of understood or? Oh yeah, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) my dad definitely like, already the fact that I was studying art was really stressful for him (laughs) because he just always assumed I would just never be able to make a living and that he'd have to support me for my own entire life, which he hasn't. So he definitely did not understand. Um, I found ways to, like, explain it to him gently. (laughs) But, yeah, I think I just had to be stubborn. I just had to to be stubborn about what I was doing and just do it and stop listening to everybody else's opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I was in, you know, a slightly similar situation when I was about to graduate from high school and I had to decide where I wanted to go to school. Um, And I decided that I wanted to take a year in between. And I just remember my, I was so scared to tell my family that that's what I was thinking about. And I I had a teacher at school who had had another student, there was one student in my school system who had taken a year in between. And I had been telling them, I don't know where I want to go to school yet. It's really bothering me. I guess the theme is that I'm indecisive. (laughs) Um, And they had suggested a gap year. And I thought, that sounds great. That sounds amazing. That gives me a little bit more time and maybe it can help me to figure out where I want to be. But I was so nervous to tell my family, and I'm really lucky because my family is very supportive and open, but they still themselves thought, they thought that that meant that I was never going to go to school, and I was never going to be able to be on this path of school and then career, and they just... Yeah, I think it makes parents really nervous whenever you don't follow, like, the right track. (laughs) Um... Because, you know, parents are coming from a place of being productive, uh, protective and wanting to, you know, make sure that you're successful. Yeah. And so they mean well, but sometimes right. they don't give the best advice yeah. because they just have so much anxiety about <laughs> what's going to happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. They, they kind of know that society works best if you are following those kind of career paths. And they, they, even if 
you know, they might be critical of that. They still want you to be okay <laughs> in the in the world. Yeah. Yeah, they just want it to be, like, as easy as possible, I think. But I think sometimes, like, we benefit from taking, like, from doing things that are a bit more difficult. And mm-hmm. Another thing that Hannah and I ended up talking about after we stopped recording is the concept of getting paid. I say concept because for many creative workers, getting paid is more of a concept than a reality. There is this idea that doing creative work is fun and fulfilling, so most artists should be happy to do it for free, or for the fake currency known as exposure. And while creative work can be fun and fulfilling, it's still work. And while exposure can be helpful, it doesn't pay the bills. Furthermore, In this increasingly globalized and digitized world, many creative people have figured out how to gain their own exposure without the help of companies and mainstream media who disguise themselves as creative allies. As I'm saying this, part of me knows that while making this podcast, I didn't have the money to pay any of the people who collaborated with me. This podcast was only made because I had a small amount of grant money left that could only be used to pay for the recording equipment. So I understand that for a lot of people, it's a cycle. They don't get paid, so they can't pay me, and I can't pay anyone else. And while I don't think any of this should be all about the money, we still live in a capitalist world where we need to pay for things like food and lodging and art supplies. And another thing I think that is really helpful if you want to do any kind of work that's related to activism and feminism is like find allies Mm. like for me that's been like a really it's been really important to like find people that I can do this work with Mm -hmm. so that I don't feel isolated Mm -hmm. so that you know I can have people that that can push me to be better Mm -hmm. and who can support me and who I can support so I think you know you create your own communities that are somehow like your your own little subcultures outside of the culture, I guess. Yeah. Something that I've had to learn this year is that I, w- I always kind of thought that, especially because I was, like, doing something that I was told I shouldn't be doing, like going out into the arts and as a woman, I always thought, like, I had to prove everybody wrong by doing it myself. Mm-hmm. And to a point where I almost, like, burnt out and... And that's the point when I started reaching out and that's where I started working with you and other people because I had to, like, ask for help. And that's another thing to remember is that it's okay to ask for help and that it's important to to understand your limits. And so a lot of this podcast is all about me, like, asking for help and understanding my limitations and knowing that it's good to, you know, ask other people for help. Yeah. Yeah. And I really love that. I love that this podcast does that in the sense, too, of, as you've been saying, the conversations with each other and talking with other people who maybe on some surface level are completely different from you. And maybe, you know, we actually have some similar privileges and positions, but speaking with other people on this podcast and just being like tell me about your experiences in your life and these anonymous questions somehow there are relatable moments for us all and I really love how you know the podcast has kind of pointed out how much more maybe productive and helpful and just 
nice it is to actually reach out to each other and regardless of, you know, where we're from or what positions we have. And yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> Rebelliously Tiny was written, produced, and edited by me, Ambivalently Yours, and co-produced by Hannah McCasland. The music is by Greg Barkley. This episode was recorded at Obero Artist Run Centre in Montreal, with technical support from Stéphane Claude. Special thanks to the entire team at Obero for their technical, financial, and emotional support. Additional thanks to our special guests for taking the time to talk with us. To learn more about my work and this podcast, please visit my website, ambivalentlyyours.com, or follow me on social media, at ambivalentlyyours on Instagram and Facebook, at ambivalentlyyou on Twitter. To see the drawing inspired by this episode, or to submit a question of your own, please check out the Tumblr where this all began, ambivalentlyyours.tumblr.com. If you like our podcast, please share it with your friends and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. With your help, hopefully we can build up enough momentum so that website development and shippable mattress companies want to fund our second season. Thank you.